Well, good morning, church. So great to be with you all today, as always. Today's sermon is mostly about being the church, uh, who we are and where we're going. I hope that's something you're interested in. If not, just remember, I can see you sleeping. Sometimes I can hear you, too. Uh, So today is All Saints Sunday, when we remember those who have gone before us in the faith, those we knew and loved who have died, and more broadly, uh, the saints who set the course of our ancient faith that we are living out in our modern world. Uh, All Saints begs the question, where have we been? Are we staying true? to the faith once handed to the saints. Today is also Consecration Sunday when we dedicate our pledges for next year. And it begs the question, where are we going? How is our church going to be a vibrant beacon of hope and love in our community? Or as some of you eloquently phrase it, how can we get some more people in here? So where have we been? And where are we going? But that's not all, is it? Uh, We're also asking those questions and living out our answers in our context, in the world as it is, which we really don't understand for the most part. Uh, But it still determines our success, which is the same situation that all of our forebears found themselves in, too. You know, we don't exist in a vacuum, right? We live in this time and this place. So that begs a third question, what is the world? Because it's crazy out there. It's chaos. It's scary. So where have we been? Where are we going? And what the heck? What's going on out there? So this first question, where have we been? Uh, is the easiest to answer because it's a story. It has a you know, beginning, middle, and end, which was yesterday, or that sentence, or that sentence, or that word, you know. Some of you hate history, and some of us love it, but either way, it's there, and you can't change it. And like it or not, where we have been greatly affects our options for where we're going. The past is prologue, Right? For instance, here at Maitland Presbyterian Church, the greater part of our decisions and options today were set in motion by people who have passed away. They decided that our sanctuary should be here, and later they decided we should own the whole block. At the time, it made all the sense in the world, right? From the 60s through the 90s, people loved church. Oh man, they couldn't get enough of it. They made those decisions based on these three questions and they arrived at basketball and air conditioning. I'm not saying they were wrong, I'm just saying it was a choice. And their choice to uh, uh, choose to grow and to believe in their tomorrow is a big reason that our church is still here today. You've got to believe in where you're going 
and commit to that path. That's just one small example of, of where we've been and how it put us where we are. There are equivalent stories like that for your family or your company. And there are countless stories like that for the, the church with a capital C and for our nation. The past is prologue. We literally wouldn't be here without it, without them. And as much as we miss them, well, some of them, uh, we have to remember that it was the same for them uh, and for those who came before them, just as it will be for those who inherit what we're making. Where we have been is a great question because it has definite answers. Now, where are we going? That answer can't be separated from the other two, can it? Because we're starting from where we are, which was set by where we've been. And whether we can get where we want to go or not is in large part determined by that pesky third question. What is the world? You know, we can't just copy what another church is doing because we are who we are because of who we were. And we can't just change to give the world what we think it wants for at least two reasons. Uh, one, we have to be faithful to our roots. We can't just do whatever sounds right at the time. And two, we are often wrong about what the world uh, thinks and wants. You know, trying to predict what people will respond to is difficult at best and impossible at worst. It, uh, it makes me think of, about this phrase you're familiar with, heard all the time, survival of the fittest. What does that sentence mean to you? Survival of the fittest. Well, it's the uh, shorthand explanation for evolution, right? But for the longest time, I imagined it all wrong. Uh, maybe you did too. Uh, I used to imagine survival of the fittest like it was a Pixar movie. You know, with like a, a fish who just really wants to walk around on land because he's in love with a crab or something. So he has this goal that he wants to accomplish. You ask him where he's going and he says, land. Maybe he sings about it. Oh, that's Little Mermaid. And so he starts, uh, uh, he starts going to the surface, you know, and, and looking at the land. And, and through sheer tenacity and hard work, gulp by gulp, he's like... <laughs> he learns to breathe in the air. And then once he learns to breathe air, he starts, you know lifting coconuts with his little fishy tail, and wow, he sprouts legs. You can see that montage in your head, right? So I, I may have exaggerated my poor scientific acumen there, but still, I have to admit that before I understood evolution, uh, I kind of believed that desire had something to do with it. That 
survival of the fittest meant that the creature wanted to survive. That it involved, you know, lifting weights and strategic plans. But of course, that is not how it works. It involves thousands of generations of reproduction with tiny little mutations that sometimes become advantages when the world changes. That's it. We can talk another time about what it teaches us about God. Spoiler, God is very patient. But I'm more concerned today with what it teaches us about us. About consecration and all saints. About where we've been and where we're going. About survival of the fittest church. You know, to be the fittest church, we don't need to recreate the past. Nor do we need to fully align ourselves with every social norm or change. To be the fittest church, we don't need to find a, another church with a full parking lot and just do what they're doing. There isn't some list we need to check or secret formula we need to follow. Because... Uh, Survival of the fittest isn't a prescription, it's a description. The fittest don't survive because they're the smartest or the best. Just look at the koala bear. They're dumb. The fittest survive because when the world changed yet again, there was something about them that clicked. If you look back at church history, sometimes what clicked was that the world got much worse and the church, which had always been in opposition to the world before, suddenly looked like a drastically better place to be. Sometimes what clicked was that the world got better and the church that was already friendlier with the world made more sense. So our scripture today speaks to much of what we've been talking about. It's, it, it's one of the lectionary passages today for All Saints Sunday. It's not something we usually do, but it really clicked today. It really does speak to change and vision too. It's uh, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. It's in your bulletin. It'll be up on the screens. And it starts out like this. It says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of God. You know, children are how evolution happens. Reproduction is actually a pretty poor descriptor of how children come to be. Uh, uh, reproduction is a synonym for duplication. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's what we do with the copier. Uh, uh, and sometimes children are an exact copy of their parents. I mean, it's, it's scary. You know, I saw a picture online. It was like this family with uh, uh, the, the mom was the redhead and all the girls were redhead. And then there's like a dad who looked like me. And the caption was like, I should put it up on the screen. I don't have it. The caption was like, how do we tell dad that he's adopted? But um, 
So, so children, for the most part, aren't reproductions. Uh, a better term would be recombination. You know, when we reproduce, it's like the, the mother untwisted the double helix of her DNA and the father did the same and they each take you know, one of their strings and they twist them together and then they step back and let, they say, let's just see how this turns out. We're not God's biological children like that. This, this verse says that we are called children of God. God declares us his children. And through the Holy Spirit, he gives us, we do start to get a little of the family resemblance. And he goes on, he says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That's true. And it speaks to our challenge as a church of trying to reach new people and grow and do good work in the world. The simple truth is that a lot of people just don't want what we have to give. We can't convince people to join us. We can invite, we can be different, but God changes them and then sends them to us. Also, I kind of need to disagree with There is no John talks about the world a lot. Lithic thing. Uh, but really, it's just so many people that it seems like one big thing. But it's still just billions of little me's and you's, so it's always shifting and changing, just like you and me. It's unpredictable. So he goes on and says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. This is one of my all-time favorite mysterious quotes in the scripture. What we will be has not yet been revealed. It speaks to the deeper parts of all saints Sunday as it points to the resurrection and the perfection of all things. But it's also true for us as a church. What we will be as a community has not yet been revealed. We are becoming. We are an organic, changing body. We're not the same church today that we were even yesterday. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no goal here in this verse. There's no standard, no, you must be this tall to ride. Just one thing we must do that we'll get to in a minute, but first let's do the next verse. It says, what we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We don't find out if we were right right away. We just have to do the best we can and trust God with the results, which we will only truly know on that great and glorious day when we are all together with all those who have gone before us in a newer. You know, on that day, I think we will find out that there was a lot more good in the bad people 
and a lot more bad and the good people than we would have guessed. But what will matter most of all is that we will be like him, like Jesus. And so will everyone who is in him. And all those who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So, now, what does it mean to purify yourself? I, I think there's more that goes going on here than meets the eye. Purifying yourself doesn't just mean, you know, getting clean and staying clean. It means to remove anything that isn't you. It's not about pretending to be someone holy until you fool even yourself. It's about removing all the dross, all the fakery, all the sin and selfishness until what's left can't be removed. It's not about being correct. It is about being authentic. It's not about you trying really hard to be like Jesus. But you trying to be completely you while you try to follow Jesus. And you can only do that as you. The same goes for our church. It's not about emulating some other church that seems better in one way or in every way. It's about us authentically being Maitland Presbyterian Church which means removing everything that isn't true to who we are. Everything that doesn't help us follow Jesus. You see, it's not up to us whether we survive and grow. That's up to God. Our job as individuals and especially as a faith community is to be unapologetically authentic. That's our vision. So what does that look like when it's lived out? Well, for one thing, it looks like a place where one of the pastors can talk about evolution on consecration and All Saints Sunday and not worry about people withdrawing their pledges. That's who we are. See, our vision is to be us. No more, no less. Now, being us is in part determined by where we've been. We can't change or ignore our history as much as we might like to. Where we've been determines where we are right now. It doesn't mean we have to stay there, but it is where we're starting from. So what are some of the things about us that have already been determined? Well, look around you. We're sitting in one of them. This sanctuary and all these buildings are a part of us, even though most of us didn't choose them. Wherever we go from here, we have to account for our large campus. You know, another thing about us is that uh, we don't take this faith thing super literally. Uh, we're spiritual, be sure. We pray and sing and read the Bible. We try to follow Jesus in our daily lives, but we're more of a spirit of the law than a letter of the law kind of place. 
we are very confident in grace. Which means we don't tend to attract super literal people either. Especially super literal people who tithe. Now feel free to prove me wrong on this. You can change your pledge anytime and 10% is a really simple calculation to do. But barring that, financially speaking, it might be a little inauthentic to believe that we will ever have all the money we need through pledges alone. We're doing fine, don't get me wrong. But that's mostly because we're, we're thrifty as a team and our stakeholders are loyal and generous and a solid handful of you do tithe. So, so, so there are, are just... An example, just, just one practical thing. There are two things right there about where we've been and uh, where we are now. So how do we bring those two things together into an authentic vision of who we are and where we could go next? Well, for, from a very practical perspective, we may need to be a little more creative about how we pay for the decisions made by our ancestors. That could look like a lot of things. Many of them are more apropos for a session meeting than a sermon. But here's an example. What if we developed even more new income streams to pay our bills? Right now, we have the preschool. We have one big tenant in Setter Academy, lots of smaller tenants and guests, and a, a cell phone tower. But we could do more. I believe that our campus and our collective expertise could work together to triple the amount of money that it's producing right now and pay for almost all of our bills, which could lead to this. Okay, what if we could honestly say every Sunday that when you give us any kind of financial gift, that half is going to go right back into our community through our partners within the week? What if, what if every time we pass the plates, we could say that 100% of everything we collect that week was going to go to one good cause? Do you think we'd have any problem making our budget then? And that would be like, so us, wouldn't it? We are just itching to be that kind of generous. That is us all over. And, and we won't get there tomorrow, but we could in like five years. It's a pretty fast evolution. It usually takes eons. That's one choice. That, that one mutation could give us the room to be fully ourselves, even if no one else ever notices. You see, there have been times in history when God's will for the church was to keep the ember of faith alive. And no one but the faithful few paid much attention. There have been other times when the Spirit added fuel to those long-suffering coals that sparked great awakenings and incredible growth but the faithful didn't make it happen through their faithfulness. Their job and ours 
was always and only just to be faithful. To authentically follow Jesus as themselves. Sometimes to great public acclaim, but more often to quiet applause from heaven and that shared satisfaction of a long obedience. No matter what happens, we will all gather around the Lord's table one day, together with everyone who went before us and everyone who will come after us, winners and losers together, to share this meal. When we do it today, those who went before us are here, in a way. And at the great feast at the end of time, we will see them face to face and embrace in the way that loved ones do when they've been apart for far too long. Then, what we will be will be revealed. And so will he. And we will all be like him. For we will see him as he is. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we acknowledge that we are on a journey together as a church. We understand that our past has shaped us and our future is intertwined with the choices we make in the present. We're reminded that just as in the natural world, survival of the fittest doesn't mean being the smartest or the best, but rather having something about us that clicks when the world changes. Help us, O oh God, to be a church that's authentic, true to our roots, and faithful to the call you have placed upon us. We pray for the guidance and wisdom, your guidance and wisdom, as we navigate the challenges of being your church in today's ever-changing world. Help us to embrace our authenticity, to be true to ourselves, and to follow you with open hearts and minds. May our generosity flow from the authenticity of our faith. Lord, as we gather around your table today and in the future, may we always remember that our ultimate goal is to be like you, to see you as you are, and to share in the great feast of your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.